Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm sorry, Rick. I, I Go ahead. Say who you are. I'm ABC News yeah. Director Rick Klein. Is that working? Yeah, that's good. That's good. But right, I came good. in too early there, man. Oh, that, all, right, all right. You know, I, I'm still trying to hit that hit that guitar <laughs> solo at just the right time. The podcast's only been on about two years now. You'll get it eventually. And, you know, I, I've been trying to get some more Bob Dylan in this podcast. Yeah. And uh, Trevor Hastings, you know, Trevor, yeah, our, yeah. our executive producer, uh, he, he won't let me. Um and I think we're 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 getting into the political mode here. Little times they are changing. I mean, give me something. Wow, that's unbelievable. So, all right, let me explain what we're going to do. First of Let's all, do it. Uh, we're going to be checking in on some of the big Senate races, and I think w- one of the really major events for this podcast. This might even be a debut. Paula Ferris, that the great Paula Ferris, you know her uh, from from her time all over ABC News. Uh, Paula Ferris is going to Texas. And she's checking in on one of the most interesting uh, Senate races in the country, uh, Beto O'Rourke and Ted Cruz. One of the most? Like, come on. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so listen, we've asked if, we've asked the people at ABC, you know, we had to go through the the very highest levels of uh, of ABC, uh, if we could get some time with Paula on the podcast to talk about uh, you know what she's going to be doing down in Texas. So we're doing that. We're also going to be checking in on the Tennessee tennis, uh, a Senate race uh, with Kristen Otto, uh, uh, one of our solid political uh, uh, reporters here at ABC. And we have Tara Palmieri out in Arizona, yet another Senate race. And we have a lot to talk about uh, in terms of what's been going on at the White House, uh, the, the Khashoggi case. But I think we should get right. I mean, if, if we should get right to Texas, don't you think? Let's do it. Uh, this is this is the biggie. We had a big debate this week. Uh, and it's all about Beethomania versus Ted Cruz. All right. So is it is it possible? Is it true? Is Paula Ferris on the line? I am. And John, I want to thank you for allowing me to make my debut and Rick as well. But let's be honest, guys. I've been trying to pay you off so that I can appear on this podcast for a long time. Okay, it's I've been true. begging you. Truth, so thank truth you. is told. Truth is told. <laughs> I, I, I mean, this is this is a big moment. This is a big moment, and we're here. We're we're we're, we're for me. Yeah, no, this, this is a big note for powerhouse politics. So, so you're you're going down to this this uh, this check in on this on this Senate race. I, I got to yep. say, I've seen some amazing things uh, come in. First of all, Beto O'Rourke, thirty eight million dollars raised in in, in the latest. I mean, that's presidential numbers. That is presidential. You know, it, it's Beto mania right now. He's the skateboarding. Uh, live streaming, burger eating, 2.0 version of Obama, you guys. Obama, of course, preached on hope and change. Beto is saying he wants to inspire, and he has inspired donations. They have flown. Uh, they have just been pouring in $38 million in the third quarter. John, you said that is presidential uh, amounts. That's true. That's more than Obama raised in the third quarter of the 2008 campaign, just to put it into perspective. But that is also a record for any senator. And the, he takes a lot of pride that he did this on the ground game. They're all individual donations. He didn't take any money from PACs. He didn't take any money from corporations. He visited all 254 counties in the state of Texas. And, you know, there are rumors that he might run for, for president in 2020. And his name's already being bandied about. But he's this guy that really just seems he's a, he's a brilliant order. He seems to inspire. But one state senator is already calling him, a state senator from Texas is calling him a, quote, shiny new penny. All right? Well, he's and very he, shiny. But, but, you know, but the thing is... is I mean, what you just cited, the fact that, that, that he outpaced Obama's presidential numbers from 2008. I mean, just, numbers. To, just to underscore that, that was a record-breaking fundraising haul by Obama back then. But, but for all the, all the, the Beto-mania, what I want to ask you, because we had a debate, uh, debate last night, and um, 
you know, some of the reviews coming out of that debate suggest that this was did Ted Cruz. Uh, did, did Ted Cruz won that debate? Of course, you know, <laughs> you don't know who wins a debate, and I guess until it's all until until the votes are counted. But um, you know, the, 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 there there was talk about how uh, Beto O'Rourke didn't have a good answer on on how to deal with border security, um, and yep. and, and mm-hmm. while we had seen him just a couple weeks ago. A few weeks ago, Rick, you'll correct me, but you know that there, there were polls that showed this race yeah, statistically tied. Ago, yeah. It the was most, tight. So, so Paul, the, the big question is: Did Beto O'Rourke peak too early? I mean, it looks like the momentum is back where you would have expected a, right. a, a Texas Senate race to be with a Republican candidate with Ted Cruz. Yeah, he did peak early, but I also think that Cruz is the beneficiary of the fallout of everything that happened with Kavanaugh. He got a huge bump, and it was almost instantaneous right after the hearings. You talked about the debate just a little bit ago. Is it any surprise that Cruz won the debate? I mean, this is his wheelhouse. He is a brilliant debater. This is like watching a boxer walk into the boxing ring. His camp tells me that the debate showed how, quote, out of touch Beto O'Rourke is with Texans values. And they feel like, you know, Cruz is calling him an extremist. They say he's part of the left-wing mob. Those are direct quotes and that he's an unabashed liberal. And we saw huge contrasts in the debate um, between policy, uh, jobs, taxes, immigration, health care, and the judicial appointments, which, again, that gave uh, Cruz a ton of momentum right after the Kavanaugh hearings. But yes, we did see um, Beto go, go a little bit lower than we had before. He actually called him Lion Ted, Lion Ted, I should say, in the debate. But that's more aggressive than we've ever seen. But it looks like it might be too little, uh, too late for Beto. And, and we saw that big, tr- that big tweet from Trump this morning where he said that the debate last night and Beto O'Rourke, uh, he said that Beto was a flake. So uh, we know that Trump's flake. going down. You see, we know Trump's going to go down and, and campaign with with Cruz uh, next week. Yeah, so ca- the momentum is clearly in Cruz's favor. Paul, well, we capital, know he doesn't like Jeff Flake. Yeah, that so, was a capital uh, F flake. So we're still trying to divine the meaning of that. But I do want I do want to play where <laughs> that where. Uh, where Beto O'Rourke did quote President Trump uh, in in that Mm -hmm. nickname. Take a listen to this, because it was a strategic change. Senator Cruz is not going to be honest with you. He's going to make up positions and votes that I've never held or have ever taken. He's dishonest. It's why the president called him (laughs) lying Ted, and it's why the nickname stuck, because it's true. Ooh, did the gloves come off? Yeah, yeah. well, here's here's my question, and I talked to a prominent Democrat about this just the other day. He said, Beto's big mistake here was in going for the hopey changey stuff and, and hoping to appeal to better angels and to go to, to basically sound more Obama-esque versus getting down and fighting a street fighter in Ted Cruz and allowed this campaign somehow to be about Beto rather than about Ted Cruz, a man who, of course, he's a Republican in Republican Texas, but isn't all that popular mm-hmm. in his home state. No, he's not. But but right now, you know, he's he's getting the, that, bump, that bump from Kavanaugh. And, and I just think right now, Cruz needs Trump and Trump needs Cruz. And so Cruz is going to be riding that right now. He's going to be feeling the momentum from what's going on in the White House, what's going on with the Kavanaugh hearings. But listen, I I don't know if I agree with that necessarily, because I think people want to be inspired because politics are so divisive and they are so ugly. And I I don't think that you can use that sort of explanation and say he was too hope and changey. Hope and change got him $38 million in the third quarter. Hope and change got his name, uh, you know, his name is now being bandied about for, you know, to be a candidate in, in 2020. Hope and change got a ton of people on the bandwagon. It, it got even some, it, it's getting some Republicans to vote for this guy. So I don't think you can use that, that mentality. I just honestly think after the Kavanaugh hearing, people got a bad taste in their mouth from what Cruz is calling the left-wing mob, and that just served to benefit Cruz, even if he is not liked. People may not like the person, but they can support the policy. They're feeling uh, the benefit. 
in their wallet, in their checkbook, jobs, the, the employment rate, and the economy is doing really well. And I think Cruz has just been a beneficiary of everything that's been going on in the economy. And both candidates did talk about civility, I thought, in really telling ways. Let's, let's listen to Senator Ted Cruz mm-hmm. first. There is a loss of civility. There is an anger. There is a rage on the far left that, that is really frightening. You know, the images... Of, of, uh, hold on, let me answer with... Don't interrupt me, Jason. The images of... of a left-wing mob beating on the doors of the Supreme Court. That's not good for our country. We can disagree while treating each other with respect. As you mentioned, that's about Kavanaugh, but a little lecture in civility. Don't interrupt well, me. Well, Don't interrupt well me. known for his civility in the U.S. <laughs> right. Senate, by Mr. the way, Ted Cruz. Mr. Civil, he gets along so well. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, so let's contrast that with, uh, with some of Beto's uh, closing statement. The bitterness, the partisanship, the pettiness, the dishonesty that defines so much of the national conversation. We are in desperate need right now of inspiration. But I'll tell you what, traveling the state of Texas, meeting people regardless of their walk of life, their background, their party affiliation, you have inspired me. So we heard that word inspired, guys. Yeah, inspired. And I, I, I do I do wonder about this because Cruz, yes, Cruz because is Because you're not a gonna... cynical political guy. <laughs> That's why you wonder about this, Rick. You don't you know, you don't see the heavens yeah, open know. up and the you know. Call it like he sees it. Oh, yeah. Tell us, Paula, though, I, it, the, the the question of of whether in the Trump era the answer is the call toward better angels and higher uh, higher causes of civility versus just going after your opponent and trying to win a race. It seems like a pretty a, a pretty stark uh, contrast when you talk about Ted Cruz and Beto O'Rourke. Yeah, it does. I, listen, I just think people are tired of. Like, I I really appreciated Michelle Obama. Um, she she was quoted last week. You know, someone asked her about Michael Avenatti and saying when 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 they go low, we go lower. In contrast to her her you know initial statement is that when they go low, we go high. I just think you know, I, I think there is a small segment of extremists on the left and the right that are dominating and dominating the media coverage right now. And you guys, we we fall victim of that. We're going to cover probably the more sensational angles, but there's a there's a large swath, there's a large part of America that doesn't like to see this sort of mob mentality, whether it's on the left or whether it's on the right. They do want hope. They do want change. They do want civility. They want to be able to agree to disagree. They, at the end of the day, they do want respect. Unfortunately, what we tend to cover is everything but. And, and it sure seems to be that's worth- a response. It's an, but that responsibility falls on us. And 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 it does. I I think that's I think that's a very good and fair point. Um, and I, I, I think that there is a, a you know a big. I mean, I I don't want to use a, a historically weighted term here and say a silent majority out there. But 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 the energy coming from both sides is, is let's face it, uh, not coming from the, uh, the 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 civil wings of of either party. So. Mm-hmm. Paula, I, I know you, you have to go, but can you give us a little bit of a sense of, of you're, you're headed to Texas, what you're going to be looking I'm for, what, Texas. What, what, what you're going to be doing down there, and when we're going to, when we're going to see your stuff? Well, I'm going to be looking for some good food. No um, doubt. No margaritas and some guacamole. Uh, no, I, I'm just going to be looking to have some honest conversations with both camps that we have sit down scheduled with, with Beto's camp. And by the way, do you call him Beto or do you call him Beto? Because you guys have Beto. said both. So, R- R- Rick Beto. was saying, should be Beto. Rick was saying Beto. Beto. I'm saying Beto, so Paul, I think you Beto. can kind of go with it. Yeah, yeah. I get it wrong. You say potato, <laughs> I say potato, right? right, right. Um, no, I'm just going to be looking to have some honest conversations with the camps. I, I think, listen, 
in all honesty, I think that this is probably over for, for Beto, but what's he going to do with that money? I want to ask him. He's got $38 million. He said he's not going to share it with any of the other Democratic candidates around the country that might need it. Is he saving that for a presidential run? That's the only reason that I can think of that, he's, that he might be holding on to that, holding on to the coffers. And for, for, for Ted Cruz, to, he has such a complicated relationship with the president. President Trump is going to be stumping with him next week in Houston. How can he reconcile this relationship with a man who has said vile things about his wife, who has said uh, mistruths about his father? How can he stump with him? How can he justify that relationship to the American people? Is it support the policy but not the person? And I think at the end of the day, though, Cruz needs Trump right now, and Trump needs Cruz, and this is a purely business relationship. But looking forward to going on to Texas and just exploring. And again, maybe a couple of margaritas and some guacamole, and I'll be happy. I, I, I would certainly hope so. And that will be a fascinating rally. Monday, uh, the president rallying for Ted Cruz, the guy mm-hmm. who he said <laughs> he said of his father was complicit in the Kennedy assassination, yes. Uh, yes. who not just called him Lion Ted, but insulted his wife's looks. I mean, this this got about as ugly as it could possibly get. And right, and Cruz be, uh, called him a, a sniveling coward. The other thing I'm going to be looking at, too, I just want to gauge where Texas is at. I'm going to be talking with some voters as well. Because one thing about Beto, he does have a pretty progressive policy. He, he does have a pretty progressive platform, all right? And Texas, if you want to call it purple right now, they haven't elected a Democrat into the, the Senate since 1988. They haven't won a state seat of any kind since 1994. I mean, John, you were probably in college in 94, right? Uh, I, I, I might have been, I, truth be told, I might have I might have just gotten out right around then. I'm not sure. Uh, or maybe I was still in high school. Let's fact check that. I don't know. Right. <laughs> but a big thing, too, is, is voter turnout. He, if Beto really, really has a chance here, if he can, if he can, you know, pull off a miracle and, in, in, you know, down the, the, the final stretch and the final furlong, he needs voter turnout. But history is not on his side because in 2014, midterms, Texas had the lowest voter turnout of any state. Yeah, he has to basically, basically activate people that haven't voted in midterms, ever, you know, ever. ever yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Paula, exactly. uh, you mentioned uh, Betomania. We, we, we've been having a little bit of Paula mania here, so thank you for joining oh. us in Power Spot. Will you come back on? Did I just, of course, did I just become a political analyst? You're a thing. <laughs> you you're were, a, you're <laughs> now you're a hashtag. You're everything, Yeah, Paul. this is huge. This is huge. Thank I, you. This is the highlight of my life, honestly. <laughs> well, besides marrying my husband and having my three beautiful children, well, yeah, right yeah, up yeah, there. It's one yeah. of my it's one of my professional highlights. Top, top, John top three or four, right? Come on, that's good. Exactly. All right, Paula, All right. thank you. Good luck down in Texas, Thanks, guys. This was so fun. Thank you. So, um, I, you know, I we we, we don't know, we but don't know. Uh, but there, there is a sense that the momentum has, has shifted. It was always going to be a massive long shot, but I've got to think. Rick, I mean, I don't know. I'm not as much of an expert on these things as you are. You are the you are the political director. I, I mean, it's a big thing, and uh, you know, I don't think it's a good thing for a guy running for Senate in a Republican state if people are speculating that he might be running for president in two years as a as a Democrat. Is well, that, is, that, no. is that is that? Do you think that's helpful for his uh, for the Senate chances? No, it tends, no. It tends not to yeah. be. I, I, I say this: there's a couple of polls that have Ted Cruz above fifty, which is often what people will look at to say, "Well, can you, can he close the deal?" Yeah, he's at fifty-one, fifty-two. That looks yeah. very strong. This race was always going to 
was always going to be closer than or you know fa- Republican favored because it's Texas and it's it's it, Republican running in Texas. That's the fact of it. Uh, I don't think there's a moral victory if the Democrats come close and don't get it. And certainly you can you can waste thirty eight million just as easily as you can waste three hundred eighty thousand if it comes down to it. Can but, you spend thirty eight million dollars on a Senate race in 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 a matter of three or four weeks in Texas? It, he's he's been spending pretty substantially, but no, he's gonna he's gonna end with money in the bank, and he's getting more money this quarter, of course. We know that he's getting more. But look, I, I, I still think there's a story or two left in this race 20 days out. I, I, the, the Beto could still Beto could still Beto, have another. I mean, if you Beto, guys start pronouncing his name right, we'd probably get a long way. You he know. might have a moment or two left. We'll see. I mean, it's, it, it's still it's Ted Cruz, a big character. It's Beto, who's a big, a big character with big pockets. And now, Rick, I, I want to move to another red state that has a competitive Senate race. But this is actually maybe a really competitive Senate race. I, I'm one where maybe you could argue that the Democrats had the – had the upper hand, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. This is the this is the Bob Corker seat. Corker decided not to run for re-election. He would have won in a walk, assume, assuming if he, won he had the primary. Run. Yeah, um, unless unless Trump decided to get involved in the primary against him. Um, uh, and you have uh, the uh, uh, Democratic former governor uh, Bredesen running um, running getting the Democratic nomination um, running uh, against uh, Congresswoman uh, Blackburn who. Is um, you know closely aligned with Trump. Closely yeah. aligned. Uh, she's very conservative. She's been, you know, she was a, a, a you know force of sorts within the mm-hmm. Republican conference in, in the House. But we have our guy on the ground here, uh, Chris Donato. So, uh, Chris, are you with us? Hey, John. Um, so, uh, and, and you're you're calling us from the great state of Tennessee. Where are I'm you? In the exactly? great state of Tennessee, just south of Nashville, uh, right outside of Marsha Blackburn's hometown. I'm in Franklin, Tennessee. Okay, so Franklin, Tennessee. Uh, what, what is what is your sense? I understand you spoke to um, uh, Governor Bredesen a short while ago. Has he lost some momentum, like we've seen in some of these other states, in, in, in the wake of uh, in the wake of the Kavanaugh battle? Well, you know, looking at his internal polling, his internal polling now shows he's down by one point. There were polls a month or two ago showing he was up probably about three or four, maybe even five points. So. A lot of Republicans on the ground are saying, you know, on election night, Marsha Blackburn needs to hug Judge Brett Kavanaugh because of him, she will be the one to win. They say once uh, it took the governor quite a while to come out and say whether he would support Kavanaugh's nomination or not. But he finally did come out and say he, based off the documents he has access to, he would support Kavanaugh's nomination to the Supreme Court. And a lot of people on the ground are saying that that's kind of deflated his base and that's kind of causing him to lose uh, the momentum on the ground here. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens in less than three weeks. So, so Rick, this puts a, uh, a Democratic candidate in, in a bit of a in a bit of a bind here. But you, you know, waiting and waffling on a question kind of as central as that uh, is not often a very good idea. Yeah, it, it's it's a t- he was trying to straddle things, and I know Chris Donato, you asked uh, Governor Bredesen about this. Take a listen to his response. First of all, there was no right answer on that. No matter what you said, it was going to make someone someone mad. There's no question. Um, I really believe that the role of the Senate with regard to a, uh, a, a, a the, you know the advice and consent on the nomination. Uh, is really to look not at the politics of the person, but really just their capability and suitability for the for the job. I don't think either party made any heroes out of themselves in that whole process. That, that thing was messed up from beginning to end. 
So you have Governor Bredesen trying to straddle things here, trying to present himself as a bit above the fray. Uh, but it seems to have given fodder to, to both sides. You've got uh, liberals and liberal groups that say this is this is something of a betrayal from someone that uh, that you're hoping to get from in, in the Senate. And on the other side, it, it, it hasn't it hasn't lessened the attack from Marsha Blackburn, has it? No, Marsha's been all out trying to every day. She would send multiple tweets a day and even send fundraising emails saying, where does my opponent stand? It's been four days, five, six, 80, 81, 82, 83 days since the Kavanaugh nomination. Tennesseans deserve to know an answer on where the candidates stand. From the start, I told you I stand with Brett Kavanaugh. My opponent has remained silent. So she hammered him and hammered him until he finally gave an answer. And, and Chris, uh, when, when you're talking to voters about Phil Bredesen and Marsha Blackburn, Bredesen entered this race a much better known commodity statewide, very popular among Chamber of Commerce-type Republicans, um, I th- think generally viewed as having done a good job as the governor of Tennessee. Marsha Blackburn was not really that well-known outside of her district before this race. Uh, how much of this is a personality contest between uh, Bredesen and Blackburn versus a referendum on a president who did very well in Tennessee? Well, it's interesting you say that. The governor's really trying to prevent it from being a referendum on Trump. He in his opening message, in his I'm announcing I'm a candidate video, he said, I'm not running against Donald Trump. I'm willing to work with him. If I think he proposes an idea that's great for Tennessee, I'm all for it. If he proposes an idea that I think is not great for Tennessee, then I'll oppose it. So it's very interesting. He's been trying to walk that fine line the whole time because Trump won by 26 points in the state. I, I was curious. We have the Trump factor. Is there any corker factor? Is he present at all in this race? He came out saying he would endorse Marsha Blackburn, and he gave the maximum amount of money he could to his per campaign, but he stayed silent. The big issue for him is Marsha Blackburn is a big Trump supporter, big Trump ally, and, you know, there were times where Corker fought with the president. The president got into a Twitter fight with him. Oh, over and over Uh, again, yeah. And the other issue for him is he and Phil Bredesen are good friends. They've known each other for a long time. They used to work together when... uh, when Bredesen was the governor. So they've known each other a long time. They've been friends for a while. So Corker said he can't run against uh, Bredesen. He can't campaign negatively against him. So he stayed silent ever since he came out and endorsed Marsha Blackburn. You know, that's one of those, Rick, where I'd really like to get access to the secret ballot. (laughs) How does Corker actually Well, you know, it's funny. People, People have come up to me saying, you know, it's no secret. We all know, yes, he came out and said, He's going to vote for Marsha Blackburn, but we all know when he's in that ballot box, he'll be pushing the button for Phil Bredesen. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. All right, Chris, we know you got a campaign to cover, so we're gonna we're gonna let you go. Thanks for checking in with us on Powers Politics. No problem. Thanks for having me, guys. And Chris has been a great part of our eighteen for eighteen coverage, all online at abcnews.com. A lot of great stuff there. And these I, are the eighteen uh, the top races, races you need to know about to know what's going on in these. Mid-terms. You've got House races, you've got Senate races, you've got governors races. That's right, the whole the whole gamut. And this is one that's top on the list, as is the Texas Senate race, and as is the other race that uh, we want to check in on today. Uh, we're going to move over. A couple of time zones, John, out to Arizona. Are we going to another kind of reddish state? This one's a little purplish, but still. The story of the Senate this year. That's yeah. where the game is played. And yeah. I think it's an interesting contrast because I think you have in Beto O'Rourke in Texas someone who's running as more of an unabashed liberal uh, uh, 
Phil Bredesen trying out the the, the kind of businessman minded uh, moderate. Uh, Kristen Cinema has been a little bit of both. She started her political career or her her, uh, her protesting career, I should say, as a, as an activist more on the liberal side as an anti war activist in the early two thousands, and now she has become a dedicated moderate. Although her opponent in that race, Mark, Martha McSally, isn't exactly accepting that. Uh, let's check in with Tara Palmieri, who's been on the ground in Arizona for us. Tara, what a what a race this has been. It feels like things have gotten just really vicious in this race between Kirsten Cinema and Martha McSally. That's true. It seems like it's a real reflection of what we saw in 2016 playing out now. Um, in 2018, it was a pretty incredible moment at the end of the debate when McSally accused Cinema of treason for some kind of offhand comments she made in the 2003 um, interview where someone poses the idea of an American fighting for the Taliban, and she was trying to make the case for libertarianism, oh, you can do whatever you want. But clearly, McSally has capitalized on this. Jesus says it's something that could hurt her um, with veterans, you know, bring up, bring up questions about her anti-war activities. Um, and, you know, she really nailed her at the end on that. And, you know, some of my sources um, out here tell me that, it just wasn't that that video wasn't getting a lot of traction um, locally. It seemed that in the local press, it just wasn't getting the kind of pickup that you were seeing in the national press about this this um, comment from cinema. And McSally wanted to drive it home and get attention for what she sees as as a real hit on cinema's record and something that could bring her down. And let's listen to that, actually. This came from the end of the, the one and only debate in Arizona. What came out last week, CNN reported that in 2003, while she was on the radio, you said it was okay for Americans to join the Taliban to fight All against right, us. We, you said you had no problem We're with that. running out of time, Here's but we the, have to let you I respond to that. I want to ask right that. now whether Please. you're going to apologize to the veterans and what? me for saying it's okay Please. to commit treason. A major escalation, Tara, as you mentioned. I, I have been struck by how much information has come out in the closing stages of this race mm. about cinema, who has cast herself in a much different light in the House uh, and as a candidate, as a moderate. You don't see shades of anti-war protester Kirsten Sinema uh, on the campaign trail, but that is who Martha McSally is trying to resurrect. Exactly. And clearly Sinema has done a major transformation. She used to be an activist tied with the Green Party, and she was very anti-war during, uh, uh, you know, in the beginning of the Iraq War and Afghanistan. But she has voted with Trump 62 percent of the time. So she's not entirely, you know, a progressive liberal. Um, but, of course, McSally, who is hedging towards the right and will be rallying with Trump on Friday, is trying to paint cinema as, you know, a bleeding heart liberal and a Democrat, a word that really cinema doesn't want to use. And I, you really don't hear her use that on the ads that I've seen. The word Democrat? She, she, she doesn't like to use the word Democrat? No, she really paints herself as a moderate. She said at one time during the debate that, you know, when the president is right, I'll vote with him. When he's wrong, I won't. But she never really attacked Trump. And that's the thing. You know, so she's she's clearly not trying to align with the left. And McSally is trying to push her as far to the left as she can. I am curious about the, 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 the atmospherics around this race. This is this is Jeff Flake's seat. This is the state of the late Senator John McCain. Uh, these were mm-hmm. towering figures in Republican politics. They also happen to be 
um, among the most vocal critics of President Trump inside the Republican Party. Uh, Senator McCain, mm-hmm. uh, before his passing, of course, very, very vocal, and, and, and Senator Flake remains so. And yet, and yet you have these two candidates who kind of dance around the issue of Trump. Is the perception that he is just so so popular still in a state that he won Arizona that you don't want to you don't want to go against him right he is still very popular in Arizona Uh, you know McSally who wouldn't endorse him during the 2016 race has clearly aligned herself with him and I think that was part part of the way to uh you know fend herself away from the Kelly Wards and the Joe Arpaio's in the primary um but she's still clearly not willing to take any shots at the president. Uh, She defended his child separation uh, policy at the border, saying, you know, the only way to enforce the law is to separate families, but she thinks there should be better options. Both do agree with increased border security. Cinema says that a wall is an 18th century solution, but she, you know, thinks that there should be more security on the border. She seems like she's, of the Democrats, more inclined towards a a zero tolerance policy, maybe not as extreme as as Trump's, but like she's playing it really moderate. And 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 McSally, the truth is that both of their voting records are pretty moderate. So it's interesting to see them paint each other in opposite directions. Yeah, raging moderates. That's a hard hard thing to campaign on. Typically, it is a bit of an outlier race. But this this has been a critical race from the beginning, Tara, as you know, this was Mm looked at as uh, one of the few opportunities, uh, the gold, few golden good opportunities for Democrats to go on offense. Kirsten Cinema, a prize mm-hmm. recruit. There was a, a late primary in Arizona that had to hash out a couple of uh, more fringe candidates before McSally was able to, uh, to get into this. But it, it, what's your sense of the momentum right now in terms of driving the messaging of this debate? Whatever you say about turnout, uh, you, you get a sense that McSally has been able to dictate the terms a little more than Cinema right now? Right. Um, the only thing that's sort of working against them is the fact that they do have early voting. Uh, it just started in Monday, and a lot of campaigns complain that it doesn't allow them to have the kind of momentum that they want. But you did see a lot of hits on cinema this weekend leading up to this early voting, uh, and turnout seems pretty high already. I mean, I've been watching the television in Arizona, and it is just brutal. It is like one nasty attack after another for all different types of candidates. I'm sure if I was living in Arizona all the time, I'd just have to turn my TV off. It is a lot. Um, but, you know, this is the climate. And right now that voters are going out and they're, and they're actually placing their, their votes. And historically, Republicans say it's not a good thing to have early voting, but they seem optimistic. And they think that, that the um, McSally's hits on cinema, um, accusing her of being an anti-war activist, of, of you know, basically suggesting that she won't help veterans, a lot of veterans and military, active military uh, servicemen living in Arizona. You know, this is a really strong line of attack against cinema that McSally is capitalizing on. And as we know, she's the first female fighter pilot. I mean, that's a pretty big thing. Um, but it's also interesting to see how, how they attack each other. I mean, it's two women, but it's a bit a very sexist, uh, you know, very sexist race in a way. The language that they've been using against each other subtly implied that cinema is is more of a girly girl versus McSally, who has more male strength tendencies, um, probably going farther than most men would go against a female challenger. And the pink tutu ad, we've all, it's all burned in our Prada in our socialist. Minds. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really interesting uh, to see how, I mean, it's really quite vicious. I mean, just yeah. seeing these, these two women on the stage, they really don't like each other. And imagine this, 
say hypothetically cinema wins and, and she's the first female senator in um, Arizona. And then McSally is appointed to the other seat vacated by John McCain. Yeah, it's a good chance. Are they going to work together? It's a good chance in that scenario <laughs> that they're both United States senators this time next year, which is which is pretty wild. Uh, Tara Palmieri, checking in from the road in Arizona. We'll let you get back on the campaign trail. Thanks for being here and uh, appreciate you uh, dialing in. Thanks, Rick. Interesting twist in Arizona, John, because this this is being referred to as the year of the woman, and this is going to set new records. Another year of the woman. This is going to set new records in all likelihood on on the the female makeup of both the House and the Senate. Uh, this is a race in Arizona where both women are running, and uh, and gender uh, kind of taken off the table in in a sense. But I'm interested to hear Tara say that it's being used as a weapon. That there's there's some things that are probably going to be would be considered sexist if said by a man. Well, you know, I, I try not to make predictions uh, unless I, I really have a, a firm basis in making them. But I, I, I will predict right here on this episode of Powers Politics, the next senator from Arizona will be a woman. And that'll be a first for Arizona, by the way. Yes. I'll, I'll say, <laughs> for good. once, I'm going to agree with you, John, as well. But I do think I think in our little tour of the battlegrounds today, you see – uh, you see Democrats who are uh, running in in sort of different ways. One unifying theme to me that I continue to be intrigued by is that for as polarizing as Trump is, and granted these are red states, but as polarizing as Trump is, you don't really have any of these major candidates who are running against Trump. No. They're running against aspects of him and, and running against Yeah, Cruz, of- Cruz went, had this whole riff in the debate about how much he disagrees with the president on trade policy. He's against the tariffs. Yeah. He's told the president this is the wrong approach, dedicated free trader. So he, you know, he, he carved out a place where he disagrees with the president, but he's obviously, he's got the president coming down to Texas and he's uh, embracing uh, the, the guy he once called, what did he call him? Uh, sniveling coward. Yes, yeah. Sniveling doesn't get used enough in politics. That's no, to not see that anymore. Back. Yeah. But but even but the Democrats all play it careful as well. And and the fact that if you're if you're running for Senate, even as a Democrat in these states, uh, you, you're treading lightly around the guy. And yep. I'm interested, John. Notes the president told the Associated Press this week that uh, if the Republicans get wiped out in the midterms and lose the House, he is not going to be to blame. Well, you know, I I, I want to be I want to really look at this and, and be fair about this. The president's kind of has a He's kind of divided this in half, you know, because mm-hmm. when, when you look at assigning credit and blame and what he has decided that insofar as the Republicans win, he will take the credit. Insofar as they lose, he won't take the blame. So he's so he's doing half, half, half a loaf on Heads, this heads I win, tails you lose. That all, it's worth, <laughs> it's, it's, all, worth it's many, all working out. But, but look, seriously, the president, um, you, 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 can, you, you can just sense it. I think maybe – more so than any time in his presidency, he feels like he has the wind at his back. Um, and I'll tell you, the leading indicator of this is that if you look over the last 10 days, the president has engaged more news media, reporters, news organizations, interviews, questions at the White House, um, questions on the road. He has done more of this in the last 10 days than he has done during any previous 10-day period, even, I would argue, during the campaign. But I'm going to go further and say, and we're crunching the, the numbers. I'm working with Alex Mallon, uh, you know, ABC White House, uh, to, to look. I don't think we have had a 10-day period in all of American history where a president has taken more questions from the press, a press, by the way, that he has called enemies of the people. But, but he is doing this because he feels that he's got a story to tell right now, and he is... Uh, he feels that things – this is all post-Kavanaugh. He feels very good about the Kavanaugh victory. He feels uh, good about the economic numbers that have come out. 
Um, he's a little angry with his Fed chairman. He's a little angry with his attorney general. He's a little angry with Stormy Daniels. Um, he's so a little, he's, 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 a, he's a little credulous he's, of the Saudis. He's <laughs> a little. He's a you know. He's he's yeah, he's not, not 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 too angry at the Saudis. But um, but but he is a. But he clearly senses that there is momentum. Uh, I think that uh, everybody around him uh, was preparing him for major Republican losses in the midterms. By the way, I think that the sense is that Republicans still are likely to lose the House. Uh, but the Senate looks like uh, it's it's not going to be lost. Heck, they could pick up a seat maybe mm-hmm. too in, 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 in the Senate if, if the trends remain the same. We have only three weeks. That's still a long time in, in this era. But – but he's he's getting a sense that uh, that things are moving in this direction. He has the wind in his back, and you know, frankly, he's seems right. He's not wrong. It, you look at the economy, and you look at the Supreme Court. He's got a lot of reasons to be confident. That said, the the fundamentals of this election, and they can change a lot in twenty days, continue to favor the energy and the the energy of the Democrats. And but not uh, in the Senate. Not in the Senate. The Senate's a different thing. It's two different countries that happen to be voting on the same day. And it's, it could mean a very split outcome. And you know what? If President Trump is able to walk away from the day, having lost the House, but having kept and maintained the lead or expanded the lead in the Senate, guess what he's going to be talking about? Guess where he's going to be? I think he's probably going to be talking about the Senate. And I think he's probably going to determine that he was a major factor in, uh, in the Republicans holding on. And I don't know if he's going to get around to talking about the House, but, but we'll see. We'll see. All right, let's get back on the road. Uh, we'll be back. I, I think we're gonna we're gonna try to pick up the tempo of powerhouse politics. We will be back uh, next week and uh, maybe a couple times next week uh, as news warrants. Thank you for listening and thank you for our entire uh, powerhouse politics team. Uh, you know, uh, Susie Lou was a very big help today because Trevor Hastings was out. Do you know where he was? He was on some kind of a bender somewhere. Yeah, we uh, don't know. We'll, we'll track that down. Yeah, uh, uh, Avery Miller, Angie Act, the entire Palace Politics team. Thank you for listening. We will be back next week. <laughs>